Happy New Year! Today marks the first day of Advent where, in our calendar, we start everything over again. By all accounts, we should be out on the corner of Prince and Mitchell making a joyful noise and wishing passers-by a Happy New Year, as if our neighbors don't already think we Episcopalians aren't weird enough already, (laughs) with our funny processions and our pew gymnastics of kneeling and standing and kneeling again. So imagine if we stood on the corner today, December 2nd, and waved some kind of New Year's flag. I think they'd think we'd gone completely bonkers. Advent is for us a time of preparation. It's a time of waiting and a time of anticipation. And in many ways, it appears to mirror our broader culture's pre-Christmas buildup when we are expected to prepare, anticipate, and wait until Christmas morn when our patience is rewarded with a bounty of hard-fought gifts from our family, friends, and maybe even Santa. It is, after all, the most wonderful time of the year. But, But wait a minute. Why then are we met with today's gospel that Peggy just read that tells us not about visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads, but signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, distress among the nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves? Why is this chaos breaking in on my cookie-infused yuletide high? There's no Hallmark Channel Christmas movie about roaring seas and tidal waves. Mariah Carey didn't sing a song about people fainting from fear and foreboding. And this underscores, I think, that our Advent story, our Advent narrative, is actually very different from the broader culture's Christmas narrative. We are waiting, anticipating, preparing, but not only for the birth of Jesus, but for Christ's return in great glory. The Advent story recognizes that the same baby Jesus grew up and then suffered and died on a cross for our sake. The Advent story today understands that people are in pain or depressed or lonely in spite of the Christmas lights and carols. Advent recognizes that for many, It's the most depressing time of the year. But before I take all the fun out of the season, especially this early, there's a lot of hope in today's gospel. Jesus tells us that when these things are happening, we are to stand up and raise our heads because our redemption is near. He tells us to be on guard so that our hearts are not weighed down with the worries of this life. We don't want to be caught unaware on the day of his coming of our redemption. In this way, Advent makes all our Christmas preparations and celebrations look small. That next to the day of the return of Christ and our salvation, our combined Christmas cheer pales a bit in comparison. I mean, what will all the lights on Conway's giant Christmas tree downtown look compared to the new Jerusalem descending down from heaven? Compared to the Son of Man coming in great glory? Advent is, in part, preparing for Christmas, but it's so much more. Advent is a time of hope, that in spite of all the apparent evidence to the contrary, natural disasters and interpersonal distress, we are to hold our heads high because we know the time of redemption is near. And that's one of the great ironies of Christian belief, that a religion founded on the life, death, and crucifixion of its Savior is thoroughly filled with hope. 
Just look at the Apostle Paul's love letter to the Thessalonians in today's epistle reading. When he opens, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Does this sound like a religion founded in tragedy? I don't think so. 20th century theologian Jürgen Moltmann calls out what he calls the theology of hope. The idea that God suffers with us, but also calls us out of suffering through the resurrection. He suffers with us, but he calls us out of suffering through the resurrection. Moltmann says that Christian hope is no longer seen as the opium of the beyond, or as Karl Marx might put it, the opium of the masses, but as the divine power that makes us alive in the world. Hope is the very lifeblood that keeps us moving. Hope. And I imagine if in Genesis 2, when man is created from the dust of the ground and God breathed into him the breath of life, what if God's breath was hope? What if the breath of life is hopefulness? The urge to keep believing, to stand up and hold our heads high, as Jesus tells us, because the time of redemption is near. And the idea of a theology of hope is not new. It goes all the way back to the second century and Tertullian, who's one of the greatest Christian apologists of his time, who claimed that, quote, already the kingdom of God is beginning to be at hand. Already heavenly things are taking the place of earthly and great things of small. What room is there for anxiety? Already heavenly things are taking the place of earthly and great things of small. What room is there for anxiety? Heaven is happening all around us. We just need to be able to see it. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have any habit of consumption of the daily news, through cable or network news, to Facebook feeds or Twitter posts, you may find it hard to find much evidence of heavenly things taking the place of earthly. In fact, with the recent spate of wildfires, hurricanes, and unsettling news reports, it may feel like we're more and more we're in the signs of the sun, the moon, the stars, the overall chaos that Jesus talks about at the beginning of today's reading in Luke. But what if we're not looking the right way? What if we change our lens, change the way we see things, so we can see things differently? Change the way we see things so we can see things differently. Harvard psychologist and writer Steven Pinker has made a cottage industry out of reframing the way we see the state of humanity in the world. Using hard data, he makes a compelling case that in 2018, the state of humankind is better than it's ever been before. That across what he calls the 10 measures of progress, life expectancy, health, sustenance, prosperity, peace, freedom, safety, knowledge, leisure, and happiness. Our country, and the entire world, in fact, has never had it better. For example, in 1988, just 30 years ago, 37% of the world lived in extreme poverty. Today, 30 years later, it's just under 10%. And in the United States, it's under 7%. That yesterday, nearly 137,000 people around the world escaped from poverty. And the same thing's happening today. And the same thing's going to happen tomorrow. And so on. And the same thing applies to the nine other measures of progress. 
Now, Pinker acknowledges that while we'll never have a perfect world, today fewer people are killed, assaulted, enslaved, exploited, or oppressed than ever before, no matter what the news tells us. And I wonder, is that how heavenly things are taking the place of earthly? Is God hiding the evidence in plain sight that the kingdom is at hand? And while we are mired in our focus on the latest tragedy or injustice, heavenly things are happening all around us. We just need to change the lens, the way we see things, so we can notice. And it doesn't have to be the big stuff, like poverty and crime and health and peace, but the small acts of kindness that are happening all around us every day. The smile and good morning from a stranger. The dollar you give to the homeless man standing at Skyline Drive near the interstate. The embrace we'll share in just a few minutes at the peace. This Advent, let's try to change the lens. Set it so we can see the heavenly things replacing the earthly things all around us. And as Jesus tells us, let's stand up and raise our heads because our redemption is drawing near. Let's start this Advent, this new year, to see that we are living in what, as the song claims, is the most wonderful time of, well, forever. Amen.